Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent. Podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speakers' secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi everyone, in today's episode, we are speaking with Wes Serk, founder partner at Better Ventures. Better Ventures is an Auckland-based early-stage venture firm that backs mission-driven founders that are leveraging emerging technologies and breakthrough science to solve big problems in the world, from climate to health to economic opportunity. It was a pleasure to talk with Wes, who has been investing in mission-driven startups for over a decade. Over the course of his career, he has gained particular insight into SynBio and how it will play a crucial role in decarbonizing our industries. It gives us a deep dive into how economic growth is compatible with sustainability and reducing global emissions and what role SynBio can play. The second part of the show, Wes clues us into that framework he uses to assess the je ne sais quoi of the founders and invest in. He also provides his tips on what it does to really keep a clear mind and a work-life balance. Wes, welcome to the show. Hi Wes, welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. I'm looking forward to this great opportunity to hear your story 
and get up to speed on what you guys are doing now and looking at with Better Ventures. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Guillaume. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. So that's the tradition now, as I always said. I mean, before we start, can you please give us a 30-second intro about Better Venture? Sure thing. We are an Oakland, California-based early-stage venture firm. We've been around since 2011, so about 11 years now. And we back mission-driven founders that are leveraging emerging technologies and breakthrough science to solve big problems in the world, from climate to health to economic opportunity. So I start from the top. Can you tell us a bit more about your uh, personal story and background? You know, in the show, we like to mm. put the speaker back in the center of the sure. of the interview as a human. So what do you, you know, what yeah. are you passionate about? Like, what do you do besides uh, supporting and investing in, uh, in founders? Yep. I mean, what makes your best self? Uh, as I always say, like, who is Wes? Sure. Great, great question. Um, well, from a sort of business and mission standpoint, it, it's really, you know, this idea of, you know, how, how do we leverage business and capitalism and technology and entrepreneurship to solve big problems in the world. And, you know, that's something that I've been thinking about uh, for a very long time, uh, you know, going all the way back to my career in tra traditional finance, you know, back in the early 2000s, uh, you know, really, you know, traveling and, and, you know, visiting emerging markets and seeing how other people live uh, and the big challenges that we face as a society, like just really got me thinking from a pretty early stage of my career, you know, back when I had the flexibility to kind of make some changes to uh, go on a quest that ultimately led to business school at Haas, moving out to the Bay Area, uh, jumping into the venture business, and then ultimately starting my own firm at Better Ventures. But you didn't tell me what are you passionate besides uh, that. <laughs> besides work, I, <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's, you know, we could go on and on. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm passionate about a number of things. Uh, I, I love to cycle. Uh, road biking is, is where I find my happy place. Um, I also have a wonderful family. I'm, I've been married for 16 years. I've got three kids, uh, Nora, Luke, and Etta, who range in age from four years old to 12 years old. And uh, it's a lot of work, but also a lot of fun. Um, I'm a, uh, a Christian, I'm a believer, and I, I spent a lot of time, you know, uh, both going to church, but also, you know, work, I'm, I'm uh, involved with, with leadership at our church. And that's also been a big part of, of um, my motivation, my spirituality into uh, wanting to make a difference in the world. So. Tell us now about your different like experience that you gained uh, during those uh, 11 years of, uh, mm. of Better Venture, which is quite long for uh, yep. you know, some, some fun. And I mean, you have fun tree mm. today uh, with an increasing focus on, on climate. I mean, yep. tell us maybe, as I was mentioning uh, prior to the interview, like uh, mm. this evolution that you probably saw from this uh, clean tech, uh, you know, 1.0 mm. to non-climate yep. tech. Uh, I mm. mean, along the years, like probably it helped you to redefine your thesis as well. I mean, what did you learn during that journey that in a way gave you an edge to be one of the leading firm today uh, in the sector? Sure. You know, we've learned a lot uh, over the last 11 years. And, and in fact, we're, we just launched our fourth fund now. Um, and, you know, when we started, we were uh, a, a measly little accelerator program. Uh, Rick Moss is my co-founder. He and I um, met in 2009, started working together in early 2011, launched an accelerator program. That was sort of the genesis of Better Ventures. Then we lost, launched our first uh, seed fund in 2014. 
you know, we've learned a lot about how, how to how to do this business. You know, there's a there's a lot of learning, and there's also there's a lot of ways to be successful in venture, and we've we've really been able to both uh, develop and identify, you know, what we're really good at, like what are what are our, what's our secret sauce, what are our strong points that we can really leverage to be successful, um, and and a lot of that has to do with just you know what stage you're investing, what kinds of things you're looking for on those early teams, and how to build your portfolio, you know, portfolio construction in terms of the number of investments you make, uh, that kind of the size checks that you write, the stakes that you're taking in those companies, how do you position your fund for you know really good outsized returns? Learned a lot about that, and and but on the sort of evolution of the types of businesses that we invest in you know from day one we've always been investors in software and i'd say where that has evolved to over time is also looking at emerging technologies and breakthrough science because we're, we're in just an unprecedented time right now where you know we can we have some we, we've discovered some of the secrets of life and biology and we can we can code life and we can code organisms and and and, and you know um create them in a way that, um, you know, bends to our will and, and, and makes the things that we want them to make. And, um, you know, we've got AI and ML and robotics and automation and uh, material science breakthroughs. And so we're, we're in an unprecedented time of, of innovation right now. And, you know, despite sort of the backdrop right now of, of you know, difficult economic times, you know, there's a, there's a long tale of, of innovation of this transition in climate, uh, you know, it's an eleven trillion dollar investment opportunity. So there's just a, a lot of exciting things out there, and I think where where we've developed a muscle around is is you know kicking the tires on these early emerging technology startups and and making bets on the ones that we think can really make a difference in terms of generating uh, great returns, but also creating impact at scale. And in terms of investment, when you look at them, like I mean, back in the early. 2011, 2012, and, and mm -hmm. now 2022, almost 2023, times is flying of the year. But mm -hmm. uh, do you see that this difference in between this clean and climate tech, like the, the type of uh, mm -hmm. uh, and the ambition uh, of the, the, the project uh, that you that you see, do you see like, uh, what is this evolution mm -hmm. that you have seen? Absolutely. I mean, there was sort of the green tech 1.0 back in, you know, it was kind of starting in 2005 to eight, that was even led by some bigger name investment firms like Kleiner Perkins, uh, that, you know, was, was um, ended up not being great. Uh, I mean, there, there were some big wins that came out of that, but, um, you know, there was a lot of investments primarily in uh, uh, capital intensive in, uh, markets, uh, uh, commodity, uh, um, you know, products that, that kind of, uh, rose and fell based on the price of oil, you know, biofuels, uh, for example. Um, and, and, you know, that there was kind of a boom and a bust there. Um, and, and from the ashes of that, you know, came, you know, some, some newer technologies out of the ashes of, you know, the biofuels revolution came like, well, how can we, you know, uh, code organisms to make other things like, well, maybe biofuels isn't the best thing to make. It's a commodity. It's, it's, um, you know, its fortunes are tied to the price of oil, you know, what if we made, you know, higher value molecules that could be used in industry to replace synthetic chemicals, uh, petro-based chemicals? Um, how do we use it in the food industry, for example? Um, and, you know, we're in an era now where, you know, climate tech is 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 very much in vogue. You know, we, we've been doing this since 2011 when it, it wasn't a, a very popular or, um, you know, well-known, you know, category for investments. 
And now there's just been a rush of capital over the last three, four years. You know, a lot of interest in ESG, a lot of firms getting into the mix to, you know, back these kinds of opportunities. And, and so we're, we're at a time right now where um, there's, there's good critical mass of, of capital, but also of human resources, human capital, you know, PhDs coming out of academia that, uh, you know, are not interested in staying in academia. They want to, you know, jump into their, either their own startup or someone else's startup and, and really make a difference. So, you know, this move of sort of mission-driven talent uh, along with the capital is creating, you know, really exciting opportunities. So I'd like to step back quickly uh, before zooming into more the, the macro view of the uh, of the ecosystem. And and something that we ask often is like, what was the driver that you, you had in a way to, uh, you know, jump into the, the, the climate tech, uh, you know, mm -hmm. ecosystem as an investor? But I think with you guys, it's slightly different because uh, mm -hmm. I feel that there's like this, you know, VC, you know, industry that you jump into uh, after your, your study and starting the, uh, the accelerator uh, with this like uh, strong do good and, you know, positive mm -hmm. impact, uh, I would say like mojo that it sounds like mm -hmm. better uh, venture is animated because it's not only about like uh, climate and clean, but it's also health, it's also uh, inclusion mm -hmm. and diversity. So. Yep. Any specific like um, you know reason or aha moment that uh, mm -hmm. really pushed you to say okay let's not go just after software and like this uh, mm -hmm. huge hype that uh, we can mm -hmm. uh, and those potential uh, uh, you know hundred x return that we can mm -hmm. we could do uh, but we want to go in more into this uh, impact side without being like mm -hmm. uh, labeled as a you know non profit uh, impact sure. uh, you know fund. You know, from from day one, we were motivated. Rick and I were motivated by the impact. Uh, you know, we were not going to just start another venture firm focused on technology startups. We wanted to focus on technology startups that were looking to move the needle from an impact standpoint. Like that's what got Rick and I out of bed in the morning. It's what still gets us out of bed in the morning, and it's what we care deeply about. So, make money, do good has always been our mantra. And I would say in the early days. Uh, we got a lot of pushback from people about our thesis. Like, well, how are you going to how are you going to do both of those? Like, don't you have to take a concession if you're going to create impact? And we kind of switched that on its head and said, we actually think you can make more money by backing mission-driven founders because you've got founders that are intrinsically motivated to succeed. They're problem insiders. They've been thinking about solving this problem for a very long time. They have a deep desire to solve this problem. They can attract great talent because talent wants to, you know, it's kind of what we call this magnetic force of purpose that, that brings in talent. And then you've got these problems, whether it's climate or health or economic opportunity or education, that are massive market opportunities. And so we set out to show the world that you can make money and do good. And you know, so far our track record of top tier results is very much indicating that you can do both of those things. But do you have like any specific uh, moment, uh, mm -hmm. maybe a specific like, you know, has a called haha moment that you could define or recall as such that was really like the time where you say, okay, mm -hmm. we should go uh, and, and, and do that thesis. I mean, some people have like, you know, they were like in nature, yeah. some people like met people, met other people sure. or got inspired. Yeah. What was yours? Our, our aha was in 2010, the Impact Hub in San Francisco opened 
And my prior firm that I worked for called Good Capital was was um, had very much a hand in, in helping that open. This is before WeWork existed. This was a co-working space that was part of a global network of co-working spaces that actually started in London. And it was specifically for mission-driven founders. And, and, and it had a real sense of community because you knew when you walked into the space, you were with like-minded people. So our offices at Good Capital moved from the Mission District of San Francisco to the Impact Hub in Soma at Fifth and Mission in San Francisco. And as soon as it opened, it, it filled up almost, you know, within a couple of months, it was full and it was full of early stage companies. And I was, you know, one of the few or only VCs in the space. And people were just sort of lining up to talk to me. You know, this is, you know, when I was kind of wearing my Good Capital hat and people were wanting to talk. Uh, to see if good capital might might invest, uh, just to get um, my feedback uh, at, or mentorship, and you know I had met Rick and and his background was in, in technology and, and software, and we just kind of had this light bulb go off. We're like, wow, um, this is a thing, you know. This is, and, and arguably that was ground zero for mission driven technology because we're in San Francisco, we're in the Bay Area, but we're also at the Impact Hub, and there was this real visceral need for capital and for support and, and mentorship for these really early stage companies that good capital was not in a position to provide. So that's when we kind of came up with this idea for an accelerator program. You know, this is kind of when Techstars was starting to take off, YC had been around for a few years. And so we said, hey, why don't we create an accelerator program that would be like Techstars or Y Combinator, but focused on mission-driven technology companies. And that, that's, that was sort of the, the, the sort of genesis and impetus for you know starting. So let's take a, a zoom out and a, and a step back now. Um, I'd like to di discover uh, with you a little bit more like this uh, Synbio uh, landscape and its potential mm -hmm. to, to contribute to the, the fight uh, against climate change. I mean, maybe you can start by giving us to the, to the audience a definition of like uh, synthetic biology because it's something that, uh, you know, can be unknown for for many and give us some data points mm -hmm. regarding the the scale uh, yeah. of the of the market uh, where we are mm -hmm. today uh, and the and the, the potential uh, in terms of uh, of impact as well. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, it really um, it, it really kind of goes back to uh, breakthrough. You know, scientific breakthroughs and and really if you if you chart it back, you know, um, sort of. Next gen, next generation, you know, um, inexpensive genome sequencing is a big part of it. Uh, you know, used to cost. I mean, I think the the first mapping of the of the human of, of human DNA cost like a billion dollars, and now you can do it for you know well under a hundred dollars, maybe maybe more like twenty dollars. Uh, you know, with with uh, technologies uh, developed by you know companies like Illumina and Twenty Three and Me, that plus CRISPR gene editing. So now we. Um, have sort of a library of DNA at our fingertips because of low-cost genome sequencing. And then we have the ability to put that DNA into other organisms thanks to CRISPR gene editing. And that, those two, um, th those two forces combined with, you know, AI, ML, just like really robust computational power is opening up a world of, of possibilities, you know, well beyond, you know, biofuels. That was sort of, you know, version 1.0 of what could be done with with organisms and you know really using organisms as a production chassis 
for making lots of different products, you know, from, um, you know, clean chemicals to uh, food ingredients, uh, like the heme that goes into the Impossible Burger, uh, to even products now, like companies like Bull Threads and, and other, um, you know, biosynthetic, uh, you know, textile uh, companies that are out there. And so, you know, we're, we're really just at the front end of, of discovering what's possible. Um, you know, McKinsey put out a report, I think it was in 2020, that um, pegged the, the sort of market potential at about $4 trillion for uh, synthetic biology. Um, that's a huge number. Um, and, and it dovetails really well with this need to decarbonize industry, you know, from food and ag to textiles to transportation uh, to, you know, many other industries uh, that, that are just producing so much, you know, of our greenhouse gas emissions. And so we have this tremendous opportunity to really leverage nature, really look to nature uh, to create things in a much more sustainable way that's not going to generate all the carbon emissions uh, and won't be a petroleum based economy the way we have it now. So would you have like maybe for the for the audience, like, you know, a mm. um, few few existing solution or innovation that you're mm. uh, very excited about uh, and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the you know, potential and and weaknesses, because uh, mm. often, you know, from uh, from the lab to uh, full scale mm. commercialization, uh, mm. there is always like a, a, a big challenge there uh, mm. and maybe Tell us why those two or three examples like you feel that sure. they are the one that uh, are the most, uh, you know, would mm -hmm. max growth potential, I would say, and impact. Sure. Yeah. Two quick examples that come to mind. Uh, one in the food industry called Meaty and, and another one in the chemicals industry called Debut, uh, both uh, portfolio companies of ours. Uh, so Meaty is an alternative protein company. They're based in Boulder and they're uh, growing mycelium, which is the roots of mushrooms in these big bio vertical bioreactors that they've built uh, in their production facilities in Boulder. And they're really tapping into the sort of growth uh, and scale up of mycelium as a way to create an alternative uh, protein and, and all, you know, plant, essentially plant-based, uh, although you know, mushrooms is somewhere between plant and human. Uh, based uh, uh, meats, and they've they've come up with a, you know, a way to develop a, a really nice texture that's very meat-like, and they can make a chicken breast now. They can make a steak product. They're working on a number of other uh, products as well, and um, they are are coming up with very attractive products that are are good alternatives to you know um, you know alternatives to meat products, but also alternatives to some of the you know kind of current market leaders for plant-based uh, meat products, including you know Beyond and Impossible, which are now you know I think they're you know under the microscope for their you know their nutritional profiles that are that are you know not not that exciting, not that robust, and and media is one that is is much more nutritional. Uh, the second one is a company called Debut Bio. Uh, they're based down in San Diego, and they've taken. Uh, cell fermentation to the next level with a very innovative approach called cell-free biology, where they can um, use uh, fermentation and, and biology to make things, but without actually having to grow the cells. So they, they reach inside the cells, uh, they pull out the enzymes from the cells, they immobilize the enzymes, put them in cartridges, and then they can run, run, run the substrate, essentially the, the circulose, the, the, the sugar water, uh, through these cartridges and make lots of different types of 
of molecules that are that are uh, you know high high value add molecules like uh, anthocyanins and um, uh, cannabinoids um, and um, um, you know m many other types of molecules that have uh, uses in in food and uses in um, you know personal care products and so they've got a really unique interesting way novel way to develop these these chemicals um, so the pro uh, in the case of a, a debut is they can do it in a in a very sustainable way uh, they can do it um, in a very scalable way but uh, but as you point out it, you know the they're, they're you know they're having to build out facilities there's you know they, they run the technoeconomic analysis on on whether or not they can produce at scale uh, at a low cost and there's still you know work to be done on the scale up front and uh, that's where because these things are, are new you know media and debut are both kind of new ways of producing things there's not yet a real standard out there that shows the path to profitable scaling and so they have to kind of prove that out as they go yeah, and, and today I was like, um, you know, watching this, this uh, small documentary and they were speaking about like uh, the amount of uh, and the numbers of like um, bioreactors that would be needed to uh, even replace like 1% of the uh, meat industry as of today. Mm -hmm. uh, it mm -hmm. sounds that uh, there is like uh, sometimes uh, a little bit of like, uh, you know, this uh, discrepancy mm -hmm. between like uh, the product that we have and how do we bring it to market at a you know scale mm -hmm. that uh, that makes sense mm -hmm. as well to replace uh, this mm -hmm. uh, existing like uh, food supply that uh, that we have uh, do you see that that is like something that when you look at those type of investment is something that uh, mm -hmm. uh, founders are doing a good job to find ways to go to mm -hmm. that uh, next step or do you, do you see that a lot of those companies will be needed together to uh, replace and slowly like decrease the the volume of like you know uh, regular like co meat uh, or meat uh, from animals that uh, we could find uh, on the market yeah we, we need we need infrastructure you know we, we've got some infrastructure there uh, but but we need a lot more infrastructure and and, and we also think that that's uh, an appealing area for investment um, in fact we made an investment in fund three in a company called pow bio that's building out you know fermentation production infrastructure with a focus on intelligent fermentation and, and really tapping into the sort of data analytics behind fermentation, providing that back to customers so they can really fine tune and tweak their their approaches. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, I, I kind of view that as kind of like what they call like a picks and shovels approach to investing where you're actually not making a vertical bet on any one company or molecule or product, but you're betting on more of a platform play that is going to benefit from the increase um, and, and sort of rise in the the general you know uh, synthetic biology industry. Um, and so there's been a lot of talk about that. Um, you know the capital costs of, of building these plants is still extremely high, and it's gotten more challenging you know since COVID, just with supply chain disruptions um, and and getting you know the the equipment that you need uh, on time and at the right cost. And so um, we're on the lookout for continued innovations on that front. Like is there, there there's, you know, uh, bag bioreactors now and there's um, different ways of producing, um, uh, you know, d different approaches from a capital and infrastructure standpoint to, uh, uh, you know, ultra, 
ultraviolet light, um, you know, fermentation. There's there's a lot of different, uh, or not not to fermentation, but to um, um, to to um, the um, uh, you know how they keep things sanitary, for example. So there there's yeah you know, there's a lot of kind of everything's on the table for how do we figure this out? How do we build out the infrastructure so we have the ability to scale up? And I and I guess it's not only like uh, venture capital money that uh, would need to be poured uh, into the into the game, but uh, also product finance that financing and uh, absolutely like, uh, yeah uh, support from uh, you know the mm. government to uh, to help support that uh, that scale. Uh, on the other side, I mean, which categories do you still see as a virgin you know era area where there's a little little happening, but where you see potentially like. Uh, uh, enormous potential and that's still unscratched or like untouched right now in the Synbio uh, sectors that could have an application in the uh, in the real world? Um, that's a good question. You know, I mean, we're, we're always out there looking for the next big thing. I, I think that in the food space, I, I continue to see you, you know, new and interesting and sort of novel approaches to you've got, you know, you've got, you know, fermentation of novel ingredients and plant-based foods over here and then you've got you know um, cellular agriculture over here that you know it takes a very long time it's very expensive needs regulatory approval and now now i'm starting to see entrepreneurs you know combine those two together like using mycelium scaffolding uh for you know maybe 90 percent of the end product you know plus some cell growth over the mycelium uh so you know i, I think that uh, these next few years, I think, will be be really interesting to see where people go next. You know, where where the entrepreneurs go next, and like that that's really where we we take our, our cues from. Like, where do we see the entrepreneurs going? What do we think is really interesting? What do we think is is really novel uh, in terms of um, you know how how these different breakthrough technologies are are being leveraged and combined uh, to make things? And and I do think these hybrid approaches are are really interesting. Um, you know, Mission Barnes is another investment of ours where they are making cellular agriculture grown um, pork fat and they are combining it with plant-based protein and and you know you compare that to you know upside foods and and some of these other companies that are 100 you know cellular ag um, that's it's still going to take quite a while to get to cost parity with with real meat whereas it's going to be like uh, Mission Barnes, you know, maybe 10% of the product has their fat in it and the rest is plant-based protein. But yet the, the fat uh, dramatically changes the taste profile and, and makes it taste much more closely to the real thing. And, uh, and so this hybrid approach is, is a really interesting way to, to go about it and, and actually get down, you know, scale down the cost curve. And it's interesting because I've been uh, interviewing quite a bit of like uh, investor investing in the, in the food tech and uh, and some of them were you know using this analogy saying like you know as of today it's, it's more like we're well, like at the iPhone one uh, mm -hmm. of the of the game so uh, things are getting to shape but uh, there's so much uh, so much progress and uh, an acceleration in the space that's mm -hmm. happening right now so one question is more like on the ethical point of view I would say like you know playing with uh, living organism can always sounds like uh, you know a bit frightening for for some uh, people mm -hmm. uh, who do not understand uh, the ins and outs uh, and the, the, the science uh, behind it mm -hmm. uh, even 
though uh, a lot of stuff has been done for for centuries in a way but mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. there's always this image of like you know the dr frankenstein uh and in a way a red line to not cross i mean where do you see the risks uh and the limits of uh what is happening right now in terms of uh scene bio in terms of like any red line that we should not cross mm -hmm. uh, that uh, mm -hmm. could you know hurt more than uh, benefit yeah. uh, our society yeah, you know, I, I'm optimistic when it, when it comes to customer acceptance of, of these different products. I mean, I think for years there's been pushback against the idea of, of Frankenmeat or lab-grown meat. And I just, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I mean, you know, these companies are still going to take a little while to get out there. And I think you'll have some early pioneers like Just Foods launched a chicken nugget in Singapore. Mission Barnes will hopefully have their product out. It's going to be a meatball and um, and a sausage uh, and eventually bacon. You know, launching next year, so you have some some early pioneers that can kind of test the waters. I, I think um, you know the fact that we've got a Beyond and Impossible and a lot of other plant based foods out there that are mostly doing doing well and, and creating a new category. I think it it goes to show the openness of, of consumers and and generally it's, it's these younger generations anyway that are going to really drive the trends so like gen z and gen x uh, gen, gen z and, and millennial consumers that are are on the cutting edge of, of things like veganism or just wanting to eat in, in a way that's more you know, climate friendly so um you know i I'm, I'm generally optimistic that that um so long as the products taste good uh and they're at the right price point um and they're convenient then People are gonna are gonna and they're and they're healthy, yeah. Because I think that's the challenge right now with with Beyond and Impossible. I think if all those things happen, then those companies have and those products have a really good chance of of getting adoption. Um, I think there's other red lines. Um, I think especially when it comes to you know designer babies and you know messing around with human DNA in utero or or um, you know I guess pre pre uh, um, conception. Um, you know, to sort of, you know, create the, the humans that, that, that we want to create. I mean, that, that's not an area we really, we don't do a lot in that area um, and, and, and kind of that, that end of life sciences. And, uh, but uh, it is, you know, what you are kind of playing with fire uh, when you're, when you've got this, this sort of power of nature in your hands and there's always going to be risks of using that um, to the detriment of society. And so, um, I think, uh, it's important that we have these very, you know, challenging conversations that, uh, people like Jennifer Doudna, the, the essentially the inventor of, of CRISPR are having, you know, so the, 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 um, the ethics of, of synthetic biology, I think are, are really important conversations to continue to have. Who's in charge to, you know, is there, is it the, I mean, I guess on the, on the food sector is more like the FDA mm -hmm. in charge of like looking at it and, yep. uh, who is this like, you know, organism in a way, uh, mm -hmm. taking the decision in terms of like, even about the content, I mean, you mentioned mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, the, the protein source and like the, mm -hmm. uh, the nutritive value that you can get mm -hmm. out of that food. Yeah. Uh, who is like checking that because i guess you know yeah. we try to all push uh, fast uh, mm -hmm. innovation right. on the market uh, but sometimes it needs uh, time to uh, to assess uh, the longer term risk that could have mm -hmm. uh, you know those uh, new product and innovation mm -hmm. on the consumer itself yeah i mean in the us it's the fda and and the usda 
uh, are are you know focused on that, and, and each of them, depending on what kind of product it is, you know, you kind of go one path or the other. Uh, there's also grass approval, like uh, generally recognized as safe. Um, as long as you're using ingredients that are already recognized as safe, you're just putting them together in a different way. You can get self grass approval, um, and yeah, at the end of the day, these are not new molecules. They're not new proteins. They're they're not new. Even the cellular ag. I mean, it's still meat. It's still fat. Uh, from animals, but it's just not grown on the frame of an animal. You know, it's 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 grown <laughs> in a in a bioreactor. You know, inside of a production facility or a lab. And so, while that you know can really challenge the way we perceive these things, at the end of the day, there's we're, we're still eating the same things. They're just made in a different way. I mean, same with same with fermentation. I mean, it's it's uh, 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 you know molecules and products that are you know, peer in form and, and the same as, as ones that we've been consuming before, but they're just made in a different way. They're, they're made uh, via a different production chassis. And so, um, yeah, I think the more that um, knowledge can get out there, I think the more likely these different products are to succeed. Can you tell us, according to you, what are the, the U.S. advantages and, and weaknesses in, in regards to the decarbonization of the uh, economy or the industry in itself? And uh, uh, maybe you can, you know, uh, tell us a bit more about like your, your opinion mm. and like uh, as an investor in terms of the, the Biden plan. I mean, is that more mm. like a curtain of smoke uh, where mm. we're pouring money uh, on the wrong direction? Mm. Um, I mean, do you see any major roadblocks mm -hmm. uh, today in terms of uh, this decarbonization? Uh, mm -hmm. Have you identified maybe any like, uh, you know, constraints? Uh, mm -hmm. Do we need like, do we lack some policies maybe or mm -hmm. uh, funding? Uh, tell us mm -hmm. a bit more about uh, your, 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 I mean, sure. your vision regarding this, this situation as of today and where we need to be in a way in 2050. Yeah. Uh, um yeah, you know, ultimately the the private market is going to need to solve these problems. You know, the government government is not going to solve these problems. Uh, I think having some kind of greasing of the wheels by the government, uh, some some incentive structures. I mean, I think the EV, um, you know, support uh, arguably has helped. Uh, although there's there's some debate about you know whether or not that's just subsidizing, you know, purchases by you know well off consumers, but. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, so generally speaking, we're, you know, of course, excited and, and positive about um, the Inflation Reduction Act and the additional tailwinds it's going to provide to this clean energy transition. Um, but, you know, it's it's a few hundred billion dollars. And what we really need is something on the order of 11 trillion dollars of investment between now and 2050 you know, over the next 28 years, if we're going to really, you know, reach the levels of the lower levels of carbon emissions that that we need to to stay um, you know uh, under the the two degrees um, Celsius cap that was established in the Paris Accords and so that's a massive mobilization of, of private capital uh, and there's going to be fits and starts there's gonna be failures and successes uh, but from a, as a venture capitalist it really excites me you know, like I you know you think about what all the investments that took place, you know, kind of through the 70s, 80s, 90s and early 2000s, just to kind of set the infrastructure for, you know, both first the PC revolution, but then really the, the Internet and the backbone and all the technologies, the hardware and software 
uh, technologies that were required to establish an internet uh, as, as a significant uh, piece of infrastructure in our society, I think we're in a similar you know, place with this clean energy transition. And, and you know, $11 trillion represents a massive uh, investment opportunity. So we're, we're bullish, we're excited. Um, you know, we, uh, climate is, is probably, climate technologies will probably be about 40% of our, of our investments. Uh, they were in fund three and probably will be in, in fund four as well. And, um, you know, we are trying to look for some of the more software computational services around that. Um, you know, we're, we're not a fund that would be able to invest in, um, you know, really intense, you know, capital intensive projects and uh, like nuclear fusion, for example. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's a pretty exciting time. And, and I think we've learned a lot from this for the first sort of. Uh, you know, excitement that happened back in, you know, 2006 to 2008 um, about where to invest and where not to invest. And uh, but, you know, we're, we're in the midst of a, a pretty big transition, a very significant transition in mobilization of private capital that as a venture capitalist makes me pretty excited. So last question uh, on my side, on the, on the macro mm -hmm. view, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, again, you mentioned this, uh, this goal of, uh, you know, 1.5 uh, overall temperature increase by 2050. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You mentioned a lot of like, you know, innovation in terms of technology, uh, mm -hmm. but we also have this nature based solution that we hear that we should uh, be pushing for. I mean, what is this proportion uh, that you think, uh, you know, should be uh, should be there? Should we push more one or the other or one can support the other one? Um, mm -hmm. What's your what's your opinion in terms of this, like, you know, tech solution that won't yeah. save us for, so, for some uh, people yeah. are saying, no, it's only native uh, based solution. And I believe yeah. it's uh, probably both. But uh, what about you? Hard to put a, a number on it, but, you know, I think we're in, in a place, I, I, you know, the climate crisis has gotten to a level that it that it's so acute. Uh, I mean, just you know, witnessing Hurricane Ian, you know, last week in, in Florida, and, and uh, I mean, it's just it's just natural disaster after natural disaster. The flooding in Pakistan. I mean, it's it's so acute that you know we need sort of all hands on deck, right? We need we need people working on this. We need capital coming in. We need. A bunch of different technologies. I'm excited that that nuclear fusion is getting investment again, uh, and 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 um, you know we're we're at a place uh, where uh, we, we need we need a lot of different applications of of different approaches, and you know food and ag, food and ag represent you know 20 to 25 percent of of global greenhouse gas emissions, and there are a lot of exciting natural solutions. You know tapping into to ag biologics uh, as a replacement for synthetic fertilizer and pesticides and insecticides, you know, looking at soil as a, as a way to sequester carbon. You know, that's that this whole re regenerative agricultural movement where like everyone, you know, we always think about trees as sequestering carbon, but soil, if we actually farmed the way we're supposed to farm to increase the health of our soil, soil becomes a natural sink of carbon. and. You know, you know, we're looking at companies that are that are tapping into that. And then we've got, you know, on the agriculture genomic side, how do we grow crops that are more resilient to climate change that can grow in more arid conditions with less water, hotter temperatures, different uh, latitudes and longitudes. And 
um, you know, how do we, you know, think, how do we really bring to bear those different technologies? So I think we're at kind of a all hands on deck moment right now because the crisis is so big and so acute that we've got to tap into all the different innovative technologies that we have to solve this problem to ultimately, you know, decarbonize, you know, each and every industry that, um, that you know, yeah, that, that, that we rely on uh, for our modern day economy. So let's go into the, the specifics of, uh, of Better Venture. And you mentioned at the beginning of the, of the conversation uh, already like the origin uh, of it, mm. uh, a little bit like your, your thesis as well, uh, this initial gap that you identified while uh, uh, sitting at uh, the Impact Up in, uh, in San Francisco. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, how do you guys you know, how and, and stay better uh, in your investment mm. choices. Uh, and mm. uh, can you tell us a bit more like this, uh, you know, secret sauce that uh, you, mm. you guys put uh, put in place? Uh, yep. And maybe you can tell us about what you also to offer, like what do you offer to the, the, yep. the founders that you uh, support and invest in? Yeah. You know, we like to think of ourselves as, as the OGs of, of impact. We've been doing this since 2011 and now a lot of firms, new firms have, have jumped into this space, uh, which is great. I, I welcome it. Uh, but in terms of, you know, truly mission driven founders want to work with truly mission driven investors. And that is that is absolutely what we are. Uh, we care deeply about the impact. We, of course, make, you know, care about making money and making our LPs happy. But, you know, we don't invest in anything unless you know, we don't invest in anything that, that it's not going to be impactful. Um, that that is a key part of our criteria. Um, we use the UN Sustainable Development Goals as our impact framework. So every company we invest in has to map back to at least one of the UN SDGs. The impact has to be intrinsic to the business model and to the product. So each unit you sell is going to create more impact. It has to be measurable, quantifiable. Uh, we look for mission intentionality among the founders because that matters a lot to us. And we also think it's a, a, a big driver of, of success. And, uh, you know, we work with them to help um, what one piece of the value proposition for us is we help our founders leverage their mission as a competitive asset. Uh, how do we talk, you know, if, if we can measure our impact better, then we can talk about it in our job descriptions. We can talk about it in our marketing and sales materials. Um, we help walk them through the B Corp certification process if they want to go that route. You know, we're a B Corp. Uh, we, we really believe in, in what B Corp stands for. Uh, and the marketing market signaling that that it enables, um, and um, you know we just uh, so we're you know we're we're really um, embracing of of the the mission and the impact, and um, and we also know a thing or two about the areas that we invest in. You know, like we're we're a generalist fund investing in a number of different categories, but within the firm, we we specialize. You know, I specialize in food and ag and synthetic biology. Uh, Rick specializes in electrification and the personalization of health. You know, Lindsay specializes in the future of work and education, uh, so we can really build. So we've been able to build, you know, practices within the firm uh, in those areas, and um, you know, we take a really hands-on approach with our founders. You know, we're investing. We write high-conviction early checks at the pre-seed and seed stage. Uh, we we love early. Uh, we love being able to make an impact. Uh, we help them de-risk some of their key areas of of uh, risk in the early days, uh, and then we help them. You know, think strategically about who they want to hire, uh, who they need to add to the team, and then we really go to bat for them when they're ready to raise their next round of capital. And we've got a rolodex of you know four or five hundred co-investors that we've worked with over the last eleven years, and can reach out and make lots of introductions when they're 
ready to raise that next round of capital. That sounds fantastic. Uh, one thing that um, you, you mentioned, uh, or at least uh, we can find uh, in in many places in your in your web- mm-hmm. website, is also you you touch. I mean, you mentioned this like um, in terms of uh, equality, in terms of like mm-hmm. um, you know um, race, uh, genders. Mm-hmm. It's something mm-hmm. that uh, you know minority founders are also welcome mm-hmm. to you uh, in your mm-hmm. fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, interestingly, when you present the fund, you also mentioned that you're in Oakland, California, mm-hmm. uh, you're not in the Bay Area or in Silicon Valley uh, mm-hmm. as uh, other mm-hmm. funds, and even though you're on the same area. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that like uh, something that uh, is really uh, important for, uh, for Better mm-hmm. Venture to be able to support uh, this kind of minority? And uh, what do you see as a challenge uh, for you know, founders coming out of those uh, you know, mm-hmm. sector of, the, uh, of, of the, the society, I would say? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is very much uh, a, a big criteria for us and for the portfolios that we're building. Uh, we look for gender balance. So companies that are, you know, 50% of which are, are backed by uh, female founders. Uh, and then on the race uh, and ethnicity side, we are looking for, uh, you know, at least 10% that are founded by uh, black founders and then at least 10% that are founded by uh, Latinx founders. So those are goals to be set um, for uh, going back to fund three, and we've been able, we've been able to actually exceed those goals uh, for fund three, uh, which were you know really, I mean, it, it's all it, it takes a ton of work, and 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 we want to continue to get even better. Uh, we want to approach the U.S. population uh, for those uh, race and, and and ethnic groups, um, but uh, and and you know we we fundamentally believe it's a moral imperative to, to do this to get more. Uh, representation within venture capital, within technology companies and venture back companies, but we also see it as as uh, uh, an opportunity for economic outperformance. You know, I think that uh, you know good founders, you know, great founders, and good deals can come from anywhere. And I think the um, you know we like people that who think different uh, and and who have had uh, different life experience. Experiences. We, we think that that's the source of, of outperformance, and and so that is that is part of the equation as well. I, I hear the, the sound in your background. I don't <laughs> that is the uh, the ice cream uh, <laughs> guy <laughs> coming by. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, take, take one speaking of me. Oakland, I mean that's actually quite representative of, of Oakland. I mean, um, you know, it, it's a uh, Oakland is the second most diverse city in the country after New York City. And um, we're in uptown Oakland on 25th Street. And, uh, you know, we're, Rick and I have been proud Oakland residents for, you know, me for 16 years, him for 20 or 25 years. And, uh, you know, we, we love being based here. And, um, and we do we do see a lot of good deal flow uh, coming through from our networks here in Oakland of, of much of, of a, you know, much more diverse group of, of uh, founders here. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a beautiful area in the in the bay definitely and, and very close mm-hmm. to uh, to berkeley where you went to as well so that's right yep just down the street mm-hmm. <laughs> all right so a couple of more questions uh before we wrap up this uh, first part of the interview uh we already covered like a, a i mean a lot of the different investments uh, that you mm-hmm. guys uh have been doing in the past uh or are currently mm-hmm. doing but I like to, uh, that's always a question that we ask is like to, to understand a bit more, like what yeah. are the most, you know, promising for you today in terms of uh, 
impact cash return you know sectors mm. like meaning like you build impactful companies while creating highly profitable uh, mm. business do you see like any underdogs area uh, that are all underlooked right now uh, that mm. people are not looking at uh, that uh, we mm. should look at and that you are very excited about maybe mm. one or two examples that you have sure um I mean, I, I think, you know, in general, we're going to see, you know, lots of exciting opportunities in, in climate technologies. Uh, and I think there's there's probably, you know, we, we think about kind of four different categories within, um, you know, kind of what we call electrification. I mean, there, there's kind of climate, broadly speaking, and like the decarbonization of industry, but within climate more specifically, especially as it relates to electrification, you've got, you know, mobility, you know, the built environment, industrial applications and, and grid modernization. And uh, there are definitely some some underdogs uh, in those categories. I think, uh, you know, especially in, you know, in, in industry, in industrial applications, I, I think that that's kind of a, a slightly overlooked area uh, where we're starting to see more like you've got these old school ways of, of making things, of distributing things, um, you know, and now we're, we're seeing, you know, uh, emerging technologies like um, you know, like, uh, you know, 3D printing, for example, and, and additive manufacturing and advanced manufacturing. I, I think those are really interesting areas that I think we're going to see more of in the coming years. And then related to that, uh, in our third theme of sort of democratizing access to prosperity, I think the there's a big opportunity that's, you know, a bit overlooked, uh, which is around how do we retool the workforce uh, as these emerging technologies reshape industry and disrupt industry, it's really going to change the profile of the kind of workers who have the right skill sets for the future of those industries. And 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 so, um, you know, with with more production now and manufacturing happening back on shore because of of COVID and also geopolitical risk, I think there's going to be big and exciting opportunities, you know, along the lines of kind of upskilling and reskilling. And and that's kind of like a that's like a coda to our investment, our investing in climate is that we care about the people that are being impacted from an industrial perspective and a work perspective. And we want to make investments to better position them for either better position them for the future of work or like upskill, reskill them or support them in the launch of, of their own independent careers. Um, so that's an area we're, we're thinking a lot about. So at the contrario, as I was mentioning at the beginning, like we always mm. like to, to hear like uh, things that, uh, according to you, uh, makes absolutely uh, zero sense. People uh, should stop mm. pouring money uh, into it mm. or like, uh, uh, you know, uh, waste time on trying to, to build uh, uh, things there. Do you have like one or two examples of like things that you uh, absolutely I mean, don't believe in in terms of like uh, real potential for uh, business and impact at the same time. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, we we like founders who think different and who have a view of the world that, that is, um, you know, maybe maybe a little radical, a, a little out there. I think the more conventional. The thinking of a founder is that the more likely you're, you're going to end up in a business that um, isn't that radical and and um, is in a, is is in a competitive area, um, and so I just think that um, you know there, there's a lot in a lot of different categories. Like I mean, plant-based foods is is an example. Like 
the bar for us is really high in plant-based foods. And if you're differentiating yourselves based on branding, based on pro, you know, based on packaging, like that's not going to gain any traction with us. Uh, the reason we did meaty is because there's a real scientific innovation with the strain of mycelium that they selected with how they're uh, leveraging and harnessing mycelium to scale up. And, and yes, they, they have branding and packaging and, and you have to have that in order to succeed in that market. But, but fundamentally, the differentiation is based on a, a novel scientific innovation. And, and there's a lot of Me Too companies and, and plant-based products right now at, that there's just a lot of noise you know, in that market. I don't, I don't mean to single out that, that one particular market, but uh, that is one that, that comes to mind. Uh, where there's just uh, a lot of competition. And, and so in, in general, you know, I, I, we like to kind of shy away from areas that have lots of competition. Uh, you know, FinTech is another one. We, we've gen generally not done a lot in FinTech. I mean, we, we do have a couple of investments. We're looking at one right now as well, kind of in climate finance. But, um, you know, to really move the needle and, and to rise above the rest, you've got to have something that's novel and radical and different. And there's got to be a, a source of a competitive moat, and that's what I we always ask for with every entrepreneur we meet is like, what is what's the key innovation here? What what's going to make you guys different uh, and, and enable you guys to scale? So, what's next for Better Venture? So we uh, we launched Fund Four earlier this year, and so we're in the market. Um, you know, we're we're putting money to work. We've made a couple of investments already in, in Fund Four. You know, it's a it's a really uh, challenging market out there, but it's also, you know, I think when I look at the market from the perspective of investments we've already made, I have some worry just because it's just a tough market and like yeah, there's the, the, the risk of downstream financing has gone up. But from the standpoint of like putting new money to work, uh, it, it almost couldn't be better. I mean, yes, you have the backdrop of, of uh, being in a recession, but you know, there, we, we all know the mantra that some of the best companies have, have been built during recessions, um, and and you know, um, the valuations are have come have come back down to earth, and and they're back in in a more back to a more reasonable level. You know, last year was just completely uh, unreasonable and and ridiculous, and and um, but you know, you kind of have to go where where the where the, where the prices are going. Otherwise, you're just going to have to stay out of the market. But we're, we're pretty excited, pretty bullish about the next, you know, putting this money to work over the next, you know, three years or so, uh, especially as it relates to climate technologies. You know, we're, we're in this transition, uh, $11 trillion investment opportunity. We're seeing lots of great opportunities there, and, and we're excited to put money to work there. So what's your uh, personal view on the on the climate crisis? I mean, as I was asked, like, are we doomed? Uh, what would you say to, to people who feel demoralized and yeah. see all of the you know, consequences as of today? I, you know, um, I'm not a climate climate scientist, but I am I'm a venture capitalist and I'm, I'm an optimist. Um, and so, you know, I think you could put me in the camp of people who are optimistic that we will, you know, figure a way out of this. I mean, human Humans are uh, have a lot of ingenuity, and we uh, respond. We have a tendency of responding to crises with with lots of uh, innovative thinking. And I'm I'm pleased that the U.S. has finally kind of gotten back on board uh, with with doing something. Um, I do think that we still have some work to do, and 
certain uh, political spheres of this country to, to just recognize that that climate is a crisis and that that humans caused it. Um, but and we, need, we need, and we need to move on from there. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm optimistic uh, that, you know, the um, I mean, just the fact that the cost of clean and renewable energy has has now gone come, you know, gone below the cost of, of fossil fuels gives me reason for optimism. Um, that you know we're we're at a place now where we're below cost parity on renewable sources, and therefore we're um, we 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 have the levers that we can pull to to be successful and, and make a dent. So, I you know will the, will there be pain along the way? Uh, for sure. I mean, we just saw it last week. We saw it, you know a month or two ago in Pakistan, and I live in a, you know a, a fire prone area and. And, you know, in the hills of Oakland, and I think about it a lot. And so, um, yeah, I think there's going to be more pain to come, but I think we will figure a way out of this crisis. So how can the community of uh, investors, experts, founders listening to the show can uh, help you? You know, just, uh, you know, you know, if you're you're a founder, you know, uh, or, or someone in academia, or you know, someone that's developing, you know, technical skill sets, I think just follow that inner voice that you're hearing to not, you know, go down the traditional path of of working in in, in any old business, but you know, put those skills and passions to work to solve these big problems. Because um, I think that's what we need. We need capital. We need we need great smart motivated, passionate people uh, to come together and, and build innovations to solve these big problems. And, you know, if you're an early stage company um, building an innovative technology that that's going to create a lot of impact, we, you know, we want to talk to you. Any question I should have uh, asked you, I didn't for this uh, first part of the show. Uh, no, I think you did a good job covering all, all the bases, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Helpful. Thank you so much, Wes. Thank you so much for your time, your incredible uh, insights and uh, sharing, uh, you know, so much uh, passion and energy that you do for uh, a better world. So thank you so much. Very, uh, very inspiring. Thank you. Appreciate the, op the opportunity to be here. Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climatic ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbasecamp.org to discover more episodes like this one and get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.